good morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. We do say welcome back to our study on the book of Jonah. It's, it's very simply entitled Jonah. That is the Old Testament prophet. Uh, we mentioned he is uh, listed as one of the minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Man, that is a mouthful, that section. Jonah, one of the more easier to pronounce uh, words and uh, names and books of the Bible. We know about Jonah as the prophet swallowed by the fish. We know of Jonah probably uh, told by flannel graph, told by cartoon, told by Bible story picture books. We know the story, but we're digging in chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And last week we looked at this fact that Jonah was running from God. Just to recap what chapter 1 was about, God had given Jonah an instruction to go to the people of Nineveh and preach and proclaim repentance. And then we know that Jonah went in the exact opposite direction. We, we likened it to this, uh, to kind of think about locations and places and, and distance. It was as if God was calling someone from here, from Alger, Ohio, to go towards New York City. But instead of going to New York City, we would hop a plane and go all the way to California. So going in complete opposite direction, Jonah had the call of God, but disobeyed the call of God. He got on board a ship headed for Tarshish, the opposite direction. While on board, as he was disobeying, a storm arose. The sailors were frightened, and Jonah finally admitted he was running from God. And they threw him overboard as a result, and God sent the fish to swallow him up. And so what we saw last week was this. There are a number of things that happen and take place when you and I run from God. We saw that when we run from God, we end up rejecting God's word. We disobey God's instructions. We flee from his presence, and then we overlook even the consequences that God has. All of those are components that are a part of you and I when we run from God. Now, the very last verse of chapter 1 indicated that God provided a fish. Fish, whale, large, ocean-going animal, right? Now, some versions of the Word of God say that God arranged or that God appointed or that God sent, in other words, even though when it seemed like nothing was in control or that nothing was happening, God was overseeing, God was ordaining, God was in charge, even when we think many times he's unaware. Maybe you and I have been in a situation like that. You think God has no clue what you're going through, and yet God is overseeing every step of the way. And so Jonah's there for a total of three days and three nights, and that brings us then to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is where we are going today. And so if we would take the, the title last time together, we said it was running from God. That was the emphasis of chapter 1. Chapter 2, the title would be praying to God. As we jump into chapter 2, there's really not a lot of action. It's Jonah praying to God. 
And so as we dig into chapter 2, we're going to look to uncover a number of very practical principles when it comes to prayer. Because when it comes to prayer, many people say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. I just don't know what to do when it comes to prayer. Now, Jonah was a very captive learner, uh, to put it mildly, right? Being in the belly of the fish, he was a pretty captive learner to understand some of these principles when it comes to prayer. So these are things Jonah experienced, and these are things you and I can learn from. We can learn from any person. Certainly, we're going to learn from the experience of Jonah. So principle number one when it comes to prayer is this. You and I can pray anywhere. We can pray anywhere. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Stop there, inside the fish. Could you just wrap your minds around the fact that Jonah is in the belly of a fish praying to God? Have you ever had uh, one of those interesting situations, or, or maybe just ask it this way, what is or where was the weirdest or craziest place that you were thinking of or praying to God? Maybe that comes to mind. Uh, we, we maybe don't often think about weird situations. We think about picturesque, right? Being on the top of a beautiful mountain and praying to God, or being at the ocean and, and uh, praying to God, or at a sunrise or at a sunset, all these picturesque locations praying to God. But in the belly of a fish, that's not exactly the location of where we think we would pray. But how many of you know we can pray to God anywhere? Now, early on in ministry, uh, you know I've been a youth pastor in, in different places. And the first place of ministry uh, that I was was Galleon. And uh, as a youth pastor, we would take our young people to some of the amusement parks. And I remember one time we took our, our young people to Cedar Point. How many of you have been to Cedar Point? The America's roller coaster, as they call it. Lots of... Lots of roller coasters, right? And in addition to roller coasters, uh, there was this uh, one particular thing uh, that was uh, the, the, the drop. And then for some reason, it, it just it slipped my mind. I know they've got a, a demon drop, and then I know they got this other one. But basically, the principle of the ride is they strap you in, and they either shoot you up, or they take you all the way to the top, let you hang there for a little bit, and then drop you. I think it's called the drop tower, matter of fact. Does that sound right? Yes, okay. Cedar Point experts helping me out. The drop tower. So I remember going and uh, sitting with a couple of other uh, boys in the youth ministry, and we were doing the drop down. So we got in, uh, they strapped you across with the bar, and they take you slowly to the top. And then when you get to the top, you just kind of sit there. So you're, you're seated. You've got the bar and, and strap and everything like that, but your feet are dangling in the air. And if you kind of lean forward and you look out, you are really high. 
I don't know how many stories, 10 stories, 15, 20, I don't know. It's super high, right? 100, 200, 300 feet, um, you know, sounds better, the, the bigger the number, but it's high, and you're looking out across Cedar Point, you're looking out across Sandusky, and, and you are literally the same height as these massive roller coasters, and I always, when I'm on a roller coaster or ride, I'm, I'm checking seat belts, I'm pushing. I don't want to fall out, right? And so I'm doing a couple of those little things, just easing my mind. And the young person next to me, he's not doing so well. He gets a little nervous, and then he just begins to kind of burst out in song. And it's, it was actually a, a Christian song. And he just starts kind of mumbling or singing as he's looking around panicked. He says, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom. Power and love. Our God is an awesome God. At the top of the power tower, the drop tower in Cedar Point, he's praying, he's singing, he's calling out to God. That's as good a place as any. Amen? It doesn't matter where we go or how we pray. We can pray anywhere. In fact, Three pastors were talking about prayer, and they were talking about the appropriate places and then the effective positions when it comes to prayer. And as they were talking, the telephone repairman came in. He was working on their phone system in the background. So one pastor began, and, and he said when he prayed, he felt the key was in his hands. It's, it's how he held his hands together, and, and he pointed them upwards as a form of symbolic worship to God. He, he felt that was the where and how he was to pray. The second pastor suggested real prayer is conducted on your knees. And he would kneel and, and bow and pray before the Lord. The third pastor suggested they had it wrong. The only position worth its salt was praying stretched out flat on the floor, floor on your face before the Lord. Now, by this time, the, the telephone man in the background, he, he couldn't stay out of the conversation any longer. And he said, I found that the place of my most powerful prayer was dangling upside down by my heels from a power line suspended 40 feet above the ground. He probably would not have wanted to be in his shoes. The principle is this. We are able to pray and seek God and connect with God anywhere. This prayer, chapter 2, that Jonah is praying, this might be one of the most powerful prayers based on the location. In the belly of a fish. Now understand, we don't have to be in the belly of a fish to pray. But understand this, we also don't have to be in a church on a Sunday to pray. Now, it's great, and I trust that when you come to church and when you're in a class setting at 9.30 or in our service here in person on a 10.30, I trust that, that part of our service is going to be geared towards praying. But prayer's not limited to the church. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, we're at a church on a Sunday morning, and, and some of you come back on a Sunday night. But what about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? Anywhere that we go, we can pray. We can definitely pray in a church, but you and I can definitely pray at home. We can pray anywhere in our home. 
You can pray in, in the kitchen. You can pray in the living or dining room, your bedroom. Did you know you can even pray in a bathroom? Anywhere that you and I go, we can pray and we can seek God. Anywhere in our home, anywhere in our school, anywhere in our job, anywhere in our community, anywhere in our neighborhood, anywhere even in our vehicles. There's many people who pray when they're driving, driving to work or driving back from work or driving as they travel. Many people might be driving to family for Thanksgiving or Christmas, and, and you're spending some time praying to God. We can literally pray anywhere. And that's a great first principle that Jonah gives us. He's in the belly of a fish praying and calling out and seeking God, and you and I can do the same thing no matter where we are. We can pray. So principle number one, we can pray anywhere. Principle number two, we can pray at any time. Verse two, he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. In my distress, we can literally come to God at any point, anywhere, and pray and seek God. Any day, any time of day. Again, this is a Sunday. You're worshiping with us live in person, and a, a part of our service is going to be dedicated and set aside to prayer. But what about Monday? Can we pray on a Monday when we're not gathered together in church? Absolutely. How about a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, Friday, Saturday? We can pray at any time. How about any time of the day? Can we get up early and spend some time in prayer with God? Yes. When we worship together on a Sunday? Yes. Can we spend some time uh, in a brief prayer thanking Him for our food, for breakfast or lunch or dinner or snack or whatever it is? Absolutely. Can we spend some time with God in prayer before going to bed at night? Sure. You and I can pray anywhere, and you and I can pray at any time. Jonah was praying in his distress. Now, let me encourage us not to only pray when we're in distress. But aren't you thankful that when we are, when we are in distress, when we are facing difficulties, when we are facing challenges, hardships, and valleys, aren't you thankful that we can come to God and pray? Yes, we can pray at any time. We can pray in the midst of good times as well as bad times. Here's the challenge. Here's the problem, though. The problem is we are often too content to pray in a time of blessing. I mean, think about it. When things are going well, when our health is pretty good and our finances are pretty good and our relationships are pretty good and, and school or job or family or other things are going well, we often, there's this tendency sometimes to not pray. We feel kind of content. There's no urgency. There's, there's no emergencies. We're often too content to pray in a time of blessing. On the flip side, the problem can be that we're often too proud to pray in a time of trouble. Some people would say, well, 
you know, I didn't pray to God before, so, you know, if I'm being consistent, I probably shouldn't pray now. Listen, any time is a time to pray. We can pray in the good situations. We can also come and pray to God in the bad situations. Listen, if things are going well in your life, pray. Thank God. Express that heart of thanksgiving for the good things that's taking place. If things aren't going so well, guess what? Pray then too. God, here's all the things, here's all the challenges, here's all the situations that I or that we are facing. Let us pray. Sometimes the crisis is exactly what we need to nudge us or encourage us to pray. Have you found that to be the case? You, you get into a sticky situation. You get into a difficulty, hardship, trial, and maybe your prayer life hasn't been real rock solid before, but you find yourself literally or figuratively on your knees praying and seeking God because you don't know what to do. Sometimes the crisis nudges us to prayer. President Abraham Lincoln was quoted to have said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Maybe that describes you. That certainly would describe Jonah, right? An overwhelming conviction he had nowhere else to go. Where in the world could he go? He's in the belly of a fish. So it did not matter where he was, and it certainly didn't matter when we can pray at any time. Sometimes that means just taking or making the time to pray. Many times we make the time to pray after and only after we hit rock bottom. Only when you know, the only thing we can do is look up, we say, well, nothing else has worked. I guess it's time to pray to God. Sometimes what we do is we exhaust all of our resources, everything that we think we can do, and then when nothing else works, guess I need to turn to God. Might as well. Nothing else is, nothing else is happening. I, I guess I can bring it to God. We can pray at any time. When we're desperate to find out what to do, we can find time to pray. When we're sick or hurt or facing physical illnesses and challenges, many times it nudges us to find the time to pray. When there's still month left at the end of our money, it nudges us to find time to pray. When we feel like there's no hope in our life or situation, we often find time to pray. Let me encourage us this morning to make prayer a first response instead of a last resort. Let's learn to make prayer our first response, not our emergency last resort. Well, nothing else has happened, and, and the people that I know, and the connections that I know, and the family that I know, and all of this, nothing else has happened, so, well, I guess I need to or could come to God. Absolutely, we can. Let's, let's stay in that regular and faithful time of communion, communication, and prayer to God. It's never too late to pray. Aren't you thankful there's no expiration date on prayers? 
I mean, you and I, you've had some things. You're using a coupon. You're finding a sale. There's this or that. And, and it expired. Well, I wanted to use this coupon, but it's no longer good. I, I wanted to buy this, but the sale's no longer on. Whatever the case, it, it's expired. I'm thankful that's not God's approach to us when it comes to prayer. We can pray at any time. In fact, we should be praying on a regular basis. Let's not wait for things to get bad to seek God. So when it comes to Jonah, the principles he's showing us so far, he's encouraging us, you and I can pray anywhere. You and I can pray anytime. Thirdly, you and I can pray literally about anything. We can pray about anything. Back to verse 2, it says, From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Jonah is praying. Jonah is seeking help and strength and deliverance. That's, that's a part of what he's praying. You and I can pray about anything. Here's the good news. said it before multiple times. We can pray about the little things just as well as we can pray about the big things. And, and sometimes uh, people are, are, are different some will be more likely to bring, uh, bring little things to God, but not bring the big things. Other people are faithful to bring the big things to God, uh, but they don't want to bring the little things to Him. Maybe they, they feel it's too little, it's too inconsequential. I, I don't want to waste His time with my little prayer request. Listen, if it's important to you, it's important to God. We can pray to God about anything. And I'm thankful. When you hear needs and, and requests in a classroom setting or in a service setting, in a family setting, there's a variety of needs. There's little needs. Sometimes when, when kids, uh, they give their prayer requests and it's cute to hear. It's something that to an adult it is the least and, and most inconsequential matter, but that child wants to pray for this. And sometimes, you know, big person, adult takes over, and you're thinking, boy, where do you get to the real world? You know, that's nothing. But to a little kid, a little need, a little prayer request is huge. And they can bring that little need to God just as well as you and I can bring some of our sometimes little needs to God. You say, well, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just figure it out or, you know, whatever. If it's a little need, bring it to God and allow him to meet that need. On the flip side, if it's a big need, we can bring that too. Sometimes we choose not to because we think, well, it's, it's too big, and, and I don't want to bother God, and, and I'm not even sure if he can, and if he can, I'm not even sure if he will, so why even get my hopes up praying about something big? I mean, it's amazing how we as humans, we can talk ourselves out of the very thing we should be doing, <laughs> which is prayer. We talk ourselves out of praying about little things because they're too little. We talk ourselves out of praying about big things because they're too big. Hear this, there's no Goldilocks and the three bears just right kind of prayer need or request. Anything that we bring is just right, from the little to the big. 
Now, Jonah was in distress, right? He is in the belly of the fish. You and I would probably say, that's a little bit more than a hangnail. That's a little bit more than a sick cat. You and I can pray about the smaller things of life, but you and I can also pray about the larger issues of life. Now, what's interesting, and in just a moment, we're going to eventually get through the rest of this chapter. And as we do, I want you to note that nearly every word, most of the things he is praying about are literally quotes from or almost word for word from the word of God in the book of Psalms. Psalms was written before the events of uh, the book of Jonah took place, and so they would have either copies of or have heard different portions of Psalms. And as we read through some of Jonah's prayer and calls and cries to God, we can see he's quoting from Psalm 18, chapter 30, 31, 69, 86, 88, 120. Man, there's a bunch of them. You could say, here's Jonah's verse or here's his prayer. And boy, it sounds an awful lot like this verse in Psalms. So here's a great little tip for you and I principle from Jonah. It's certainly underneath we can pray about anything, but part of what we can pray about and part of what we can pray is praying the Word of God. Say, I'm not sure what to say or what to pray. We can read through and begin to pray. Well, God, you've, you've said in your Word this, and we can quote Scripture and stand upon Scripture and, and pray through some of the verses and encouragements and promises found in the Word of God. We can pray God's Word. Now, it's amazing what you and I can find when we dig into God's Word, right? If you read through, uh, maybe you're one that likes to underline verses. Or uh, if you're reading digitally on a phone or a tablet or an app, you can just simply tap on it and Select a color to highlight. That's how I do. But when you find things, it's amazing how God speaks to you through a variety of resources. And particularly when you read the book of Psalms, there's a lot of different kinds of things in the book of Psalms. King David writing most of those, he wrote about all kinds of things. He wrote about Psalms when, when things were going really well. And he wrote some of these psalms when things were going really bad, when he had messed up and failed. And so when we read these songs, some of these psalms, he's complaining. Some of them, he's happy. Some of them, he's sad. Some of them, he's angry. In fact, there are some of these that have a fancy title to them. This is a Bible college term. This is a seminary term. But they call them the imprecatory psalms. To imprecate means to call down evil or curses. So the imprecatory psalms, you might be reading through and you do a double take and you're thinking, this is in the word of God? Some of what David says is, silence my enemies. Destroy my enemies. In fact, in some cases, he talks about dashing the children against the stones, and you're thinking, David, what are you doing? Nobody should be praying about little ones being dashed up against the stones. That's how frustrated and angry and upset he was at some of the things that were taking place in his life. What does it mean? We can come to God and we can pray 
about anything. When good things happen, we can come to God and say, God, thank you for the things that have taken place. When we're frustrated about issues, God, here's what happened. I don't understand. I don't see what's happening. I don't see what's taking place. God, would you help? Would you guide? Would you lead? Would you encourage? Would you strengthen? Would you direct? Would you provide? We can pray about literally anything. As we read the Psalms, as we read God's word, we can see that there are things that cover nearly every occasion of life. And so we can talk about and pray about every aspect and occasion of life. So Jonah's teaching us we can pray anywhere, at any time, and about anything. Fourthly, Jonah teaches us a great principle. Number four, God will listen. God will listen. Back to verse two, and I I promise we're going to finish the chapter before we're done, but back to verse two, it says, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. The good news is, when you and I pray, when you and I seek God, we can be assured that God will listen. God will not ignore us. How many of you have been ignored at times in a conversation? Or here's the beauty of technology, right? You have one of these things, one of these cell phones, and the the beauty of it is you never miss a call. If you've got a cell phone on you and you've got service, you'll always have a call. You don't have to be literally by the phone in your house to get a call. That's the good news. The bad news is... You can always get a call, right? Sometimes it's a, not the most opportune time. And so our, our modern technology in these cell phones, when someone calls you, uh, most phones might show something like this, a little, little red button, a little green button. It might say, you know, uh, reject or decline on the red button and, and accept or answer on the green button. Now, how many of you, At least once in your life, when when someone has called you, it's not been the greatest opportune time, you've hit the decline call button. How how many of you honestly raise your hand? My hand's up. I do the very best I can at answering when possible. If I'm not in a meeting, if I'm not already on the phone with somebody else. But I admit there's there's times it's, it's not the greatest time, and the call comes in. And you can just let it ring and go to your voicemail, but instead of letting it ring and ring and ring, sometimes you you just push that, that button that says decline. We've done it. We're all being honest, we've done it. And if I'm being honest, I'm thankful that God doesn't do that with you and me. When we pray, when we call, he is faithful, and he will listen. He's not going to hit that ignore button on us. He's faithful to not ignore. He's not oblivious. He's very much aware of the fact that you and I are calling. You and I can be oblivious sometimes. I I know uh, sometimes at the house, and and sometimes it's 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 a guy thing or a dad thing, but sometimes it's just a person thing. 
If you're watching television, we might be in the house uh, as a family watching a game or watching a show or something. And, and guys, typically, we're, we read this book uh, many years ago, and it's, it's been kind of true about individuals and relationships. But it said, men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. In other words, uh, men, we, we typically are in a box. Uh, we're, we're kind of in one box at a time. And once we're in that box, we're kind of focused on that box. And it takes a little while to get us into a different box. Women, on the other hand, tend to do a little bit better at being uh, multitasking. So you think about a plate of spaghetti. There's all these noodles all intersecting one to the other. And so typically... Women can be very good at multitasking. So, for instance, maybe this has happened in your house. I know it's happened in ours even rather recently. Watching a game or watching a show, and when I watch, I watch. Now, once it hits commercial break, I might grab a phone and look at the scores of the game, little, look at Facebook a little, uh, catch up on Twitter a little bit, do a little bit of reading. The game comes back on, the show comes back on, the movie comes back on. I take and put my phone to the side. Kimmy and the girls, uh, they're pretty good. Uh, they're on electronics or computer or whatever, and they can do it the entire time. I mean, they're missing out on the game. They're missing out on some of this stuff. But at times, uh, it's happened even just this week. I'm focused on the game, and all of a sudden I hear, Dad! Huh? Apparently they'd said my name several times before that and getting increasingly louder every time. Dad, Dad, Dad! I was focused. I was honestly a little bit oblivious to that call. Now, it's not just a dad thing. Moms can do it. Kids can do it, right? Again, I'm thankful that that does not describe our God. When we pray, wherever we pray, however we pray, whatever we're praying about, God is faithful to listen and hear what it is. Our calls, our questions, our concerns, uh, the struggles that we're facing, Jonah sees the principle and, and he lets us know, hey, I called for help and you listened to my cry. And I'm thankful this morning to encourage us that when you and when I pray, God will listen. That brings us to a fifth and final principle this morning. Not only can we pray anywhere and at any time and about anything, knowing that God will listen, but finally understand this, know that God will answer. Verse 2, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. We like being answered. We like receiving answers. God has promised, and Jonah has shown his faithfulness to us in answering. Now, a teacher was telling the story of Jonah to her Sunday school classroom. It was a, a class of five- and six-year-olds. And, and they started talking about how they would try to escape if they were swallowed up like Jonah. One of them said, I'd start a fire in the whale's stomach, and he'd cough me out. It's a pretty good thought. Another one said, I'd stomp on his tongue until he spit me out. I mean, the ideas, you know, we're thinking about five- and six-year-olds. The ideas get wilder and wilder and wilder by the minute. 
But then one little shy, quiet, thoughtful girl, girl raised her hand and spoke up and said, I'd call my daddy and wait till he got me out. Aren't you thankful you and I can call our heavenly father and be assured of his answer? Now, let me pause and say this. We can be assured he will answer, but it doesn't mean he's always going to answer how you and how I want him to. We can be assured of an answer, but we're not guaranteed it's a yes. That's the principle here. But the good news is God will listen and God will answer. So jump into the Word of God with me. Let's, let's work our way through then these last number of verses of chapter 2. Verse, uh, verse 3, it says, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The sea surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Can you imagine being in the belly of a fish? Fish eating all kinds of stuff from the sea. I mean, it's pretty vivid. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, think about you know what our stomachs would be like, but much less the, the fish of the sea, right? Jonah's saying, listen, I called out to you, I cried out to you, but sometimes God's answers aren't always the answers we want to hear. <laughs> I mean, he was on board the boat, headed in the opposite direction. He was disobeying God. And there were some consequences that took place as a result. We don't always like the consequences. We want life to be perfect. We want life to be exactly the way that I want it. Jonah was swallowed by the fish, spent three days and three nights there. In the midst of that, though, know that we can and should still turn to God. Verse 6, he says, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. He's recognizing God is the one who can and will answer and step into our situations. God, you brought my life up. Remember last time together, we were talking in chapter 1, everything was down. He went down, found a ship that was heading to Tarshish. He went down into the boat. He was cast down into the sea. He went down into the fish, down, down, down. And, and now he's realizing, God, it's only you that can raise me up, that can bring me up. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, and hear this, salvation comes from the Lord. It's only God who can deliver. It's only God who can answer. Jonah's finally admitting that. I, I called out to you. I turned to you. I looked up to you. And salvation comes from you. God delivers 
It's not because of who you are or who I am that we're so somehow good that God's going to be forced to, wow, I better answer their prayer because they're so incredible. The Bible says you and I were sinners. But God is going to hear and answer prayers. Many times, like Jonah, we, we hit rock bottom. And our situation seems so impossible, but remember who can rescue you. It's God. It's God. It's God who can rescue you. Then verse 10, this is the final portion. This is really the action portion, last verse of chapter 2, where we finally conclude the prayer and see what happens as a result. Verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, That verse, that sounds like a middle school boy's dream verse. That somehow God's answer, somehow God's provision included and involved vomit. I know for most we're thinking gross and sick, but that's exactly what took place in God's word. Jonah was thrown overboard of the boat. God had appointed the fish. He spent three days and nights there. And then the fish vomited him up on dry land. I would venture to say, I'm just going out on a little bit of a limb here. And I would venture to say that all the things Jonah faced were probably not what he was hoping to face. Now, he's thankful that He got out of the fish, but everything he went through, uh, that's not necessarily what he would have wished for. And it reminds us that many times the answers we receive, it's not always the answers that we would have preferred. I'm sure Jonah would have preferred something perfect where there's no storm, where he's not thrown overboard, where he's not in a fish, where he's not spending three days and nights there. But this was a part of God's hand in answering Jonah. We love to hear the yes when it comes to our prayer. We pray. We want God to be the genie. We want God to be the Santa Claus. That We pray and God says, yes, here you go. How soon would you like it? Sometimes God says yes. And we're thankful when God answers our prayers with a yes. But have any of you ever experienced an answer to your prayers other than yes. Chances are yes. Sometimes God says no. Is no an answer? It is. It's just one we don't want to hear. Right? Kids don't want to hear no. Parents, we we don't really want to hear no. When we pray and when we want something, we want a yes. And if we ask and the answer is no, Well, guess what? He answered. Sometimes God answers with a no. Sometimes God answers with a slow. As in, maybe it's not quite yet. Sometimes God answers with grow. You've got to learn. You've got to do some growing as a result. So, yes, God will listen and God will answer. But it does not mean the answer is always yes. So as we take a look at Jonah, the principles he's teaching us through his prayer in chapter 2. Jonah is encouraging us to pray 
anywhere. He's encouraging us to pray at any time. He's encouraging us to pray about anything, and he reminds us that God will listen, and God will answer. 